3: Everyone, and welcome to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi. I'm your host, Gerard Gibbert, along with Rhino in the Element Wealth Studios, guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music on this Friday Eve. Rhino, a bit under the weather still, but your voice does sound much better today. I think I'll go
2: by frog today. <laughs> a little different animal.
3: Hopefully you're, you're recovering nicely. I don't have a fever. Thankfully I haven't Good. had a
2: fever in about 48 hours, but uh, Good. when you wait to go to the doctor until after it's even worth the going to the doctor, you wind up with a little two-ounce bottle of cough medicine that I'm supposed to use at night. And if I, if I only use it at night, it'll last me through the weekend. Right. So I got to stick to the instructions on that one. But everything else the doctor prescribed me was over the counter. I'm like, I could have done this myself, Doc. Thanks.
3: (laughs) Honestly, it's one of those deals where you sort of got to let it run its course and let your body defeat it. Hmm. Well, uh, good to be with you here in the warm, toasty studio. It was a beautiful setting in Cleveland. It was just cold. Didn't expect that. I noticed in uh, my history, my memories in my Facebook, that the same day last year, we hosted the show down in Collins, Mississippi, and the weather, you remember there was a stretch, it was just delightful, and we were outside, and it was like in the 70s, brilliant sunshine, and uh, no wind, but yesterday... Out on that balcony, after that front went through, of course, the winds had shifted to uh, being out of the northwest, typically what happens here when fronts move through. And it was a chilly wind. When I got out of my vehicle, the gauge on the panel there said it was 42. And then the wind blowing had to create a wind chill uh, that would at least drop that by another 10 to 12 degrees, I would think. But nonetheless, we got through it. We had a good time. We had a great uh, slate of guests, and it was a beautiful setting. I don't know if you've been, folks, to Cleveland, but the downtown there, with the green strip as it is called, someone on the text line, you saw that yesterday, Rhino from the area, informed us of that. But it's essentially a park if you will, that separates the uh, the roads on either side for the traffic direction. And it's it's really cool. And just a, a, a quaint, charming setting with the big Christmas tree. How about that in the background, right over my shoulder there on, on the set, on the balcony. But we had a good time. Appreciate everybody coming on, and hope you enjoyed the program. Mississippi's blessed with so many of these great communities. You know, we get – I certainly do – a little accustomed to uh, our our orbit and our community environment here in central Mississippi. Uh, I live in Madison, of course, but the tri-county area in general. We're out and about in. Hines rank in Madison counties. But you get out in Mississippi – isn't it fascinating, though, the stark contrast? Think about, we do the show cruising the coast, for example, uh, down on Highway 90, which, of course, parallels the beach, and, and while we're sitting in the set there, have a just a great view of the gulf, not too far from that point. And then, a couple of weeks ago, we were in Columbia, in South Mississippi, South Central Mississippi, and what a beautiful... Charming town it is, and then yesterday in Cleveland, and all throughout, we're going to be in Tupelo next week, another great setting. We're just blessed in Mississippi with all of these fantastic communities, and and more importantly, just great people, great people everywhere who, who have this passion. You can just tell, you can sense it when we're talking to them in their voice, in what they say. Their facial expressions—they just have this love for where they live, where they worship, where they work, where they many have raised their children. It's just cool. So, and it and it's—I think—Bears just pointing that out because let's be honest, we get a bad rap outside of Mississippi because people haven't been here typically that usually cast those dispersions on us. They've never been here. Oh, but they know. Because they've read something about 150 years ago, right? And they still think that's the way it is here. Foolishly. Ignorantly. And I think here, at least, we don't, we don't allow that. We, we, don't, we don't take that lightly. We don't take it lying down. We want you to understand what is truly the great state of mississippi and her fabulous people and we are blessed to to be residents here and be citizens of the mississippi of mississippi i should say cj in the delta says gerard that is the old railroad track mom taking up okay but the railroad museum is there to the right always a ways from the cotton house which was across the street from our position i appreciate that cj i felt like that may have been the case that and that was typical of a lot of small towns where the rail just went right through the middle. I mean, you built up around that. That was the common mode of transportation and and uh, often of, of just delivery of goods and services into the towns. So that that makes a lot of sense. But it's been preserved and now converted, and the track's are taken up. It's really cool. But anyhow, appreciate that. Jason said, Oh, it was cold, Hi, huh, Mr. Gerard? Hi, I trade with you all at home, says Jason. Yeah, but it's a dry heat, though, right, Jason? Isn't that what they say out there in the desert? Somebody told me that one time when I was traveling a lot to the Phoenix area on business and was involved in a project right in the, the heart of the summer, that July-August time frame. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a dry heat in an oven, too, but stick your head in it and tell me you don't feel it, because that's what it feels like when it's 120 and there's not a breath of wind, not a lot of humidity, but when you're walking on the asphalt and you're leaving footprints out there, which is true, and and the airport shuts down because there are not enough molecules to provide lift and get the planes off the ground.
2: I actually made the mistake one time of, I went on a trip with the youth group to Universal Studios in yep. Florida. yep. And I made the mistake of wearing my Wallabies, my Clark's Wallabies. They are all the rage. Flat-bottom, waxy-looking soles. I wore those things the entire day. And I probably wore about a quarter of an inch off the bottom of them, where they just melted <laughs> to the asphalt.
3: Oh, gosh. Not, uh, not surprising. Gets on up there. Nonetheless... We are back in the studios here at Supertalk headquarters today. But tomorrow, yet another remote. We shall be on the road, this time for Mississippi Farm Bureau, as they celebrate their 100 years. And we'll be there. Join the Supertalk Mississippi team as we broadcast live from the Mississippi Trademark as we celebrate 100 years of faith, family, and Farm Bureau. Looking forward to that. So that gets kicked off at 6 a.m. and goes throughout the day at the beautiful Mississippi Trademark. Looking very much forward to that. So lots of breaking news in the last 24 hours. Lots. Specific to the state of Mississippi, a big uh, announcement is that the DOJ has appointed... An individual with the task of overseeing the city of Jackson's water crisis. You saw that, I'm sure, at this point, uh, Rhino. His name is Ted Hennefin, H E N I F I N, has been appointed as the city of Jackson water system's third party administrator and takes over a system that has been. Chaotic, maybe, is one way to describe it, but it's, this didn't happen last month, though it manifested, what, a month or two ago when the entire metro, not the metro area, pardon me, the city, was, uh, was without water, running water. It, what runaway right, you experienced it at your apartment right at your residence
2: oh yeah incredibly low pressure and if you, if you had pressure you just leave it sitting there for a while and you would see all the nastiness just kind of settle
3: i mean couldn't flush the toilets didn't have enough water pressure just all kinds of other downstream pun intended problems as a result of that and so the state as you folks recall stepped in the governor under his authority, under statute that every community in the state must provide safe drinking water, potable water, and, and the Department of Health is authorized to step in when that happens as well. Any, anyhow, that, that occurred, but now you got the DOJ saying here's a person that's going to oversee the entire situation essentially takes the state out of it. We'll get into the details of more of what that's going to look like later on in the program. Tanya Mohawk with Camp uh, Kamasa is going to be on next after we take a break. Stay with us.
0: Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's Help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. Help. You know I need someone.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk so Mississippi super sure. in the Element Well Studios. Gerard and Rhino, and joining us now, Tanya Mohawk with Camp Kamasa. Tanya, thanks for coming on Midday's.
4: Thank you for having me.
3: Tell us about uh, Camp Kamasa. What you guys do, and then also, what what's your role there?
4: Okay, so well, I am the director of development for uh, Camp Kamasa. It is um, we are building the state's first and only fully handicap accessible camp facility. We'll serve children and adults with special needs.
3: Awesome. So, how long has this been around? When when did you start this? Uh,
4: well, actually, it it goes really far back. Um, uh, I guess really it would start in 1977. Um, um, The foundation was formed in 2008. Uh, We actually found land in 2013, paid it off in 2017, and started construction of the facility in 2018. And we're about halfway uh, complete with construction right now.
3: In the Crystal Springs area, correct? We
4: are. So we're uh, located in Kampai County. Mm -hmm. We're about 30 minutes south of Jackson, just uh, west of Crystal Springs, on 426 acres. Uh, Camp Kamasa is the only facility of its kind in the state of Mississippi. So we will serve all eighty-two Mississippi counties and beyond.
3: So, uh, who of uh, who qualifies?
4: Um, Anyone. A child or adult with special needs. Um, actually, so right now, um, the primary groups that we'll serve are existing groups that hold camp weeks for kids with special needs in the state of Mississippi. Like, for example, uh, muscular dystrophy serves kids with muscular dystrophy, the Burn Foundation, kids who've been burned. So they're existing camps, and so we will ha- be a host for those existing, existing camps. Right now, they Um, They're kind of like nomads. They drift around from place to place, facility Mm -hmm. to facility. So we will be their host site for camp. And they already have their doctors, nurses, counselors. They'll pick that up and just move it to Camp So those groups that choose to do that. And then we as an organization, uh, Mississippi's Toughest Kids, that's the the umbrella organization, we will form new camps to serve kids that don't fall into those existing categories so that we can um, serve all kids and adults with special needs. So we'll be open year-round.
3: And when you uh, describe it as a camp, I mean, you mean that literally. So explain Mm -hmm. exactly what uh, the facility provides.
4: All right. So it, it will be a camp facility. So we won't just be a camp that, you know, for a a week-long camp. We will be open year-round. It's an actual facility. Uh, We have 14 cabins that are already um, almost completed. We'll have a recreation pavilion, uh, an activity center, archery range, ball field, zip line, ropes course. Uh, Everything is fully handicap accessible, and the building that um, really sets this apart from any other camp facility in the state of Mississippi is our uh, infirmary, so it's like a small medical clinic, and it's where kids will be able to receive medical treatments while they're at camp, uh, so that they won't have to leave and go to the hospital and come back. They can yeah. have their treatments there. So other states do this. We we really we just took the best ideas from all other states, and. Um, rolled it up into one so really we believe that this is going to be probably the best one in the nation we're a little partial but
3: is there a minimum age requirement and age range that sir
4: there is not so the summers will be devoted to those kids that are bound by the school year mm-hmm. but the rest of the year will be open for uh, adults like we we have to serve adult daycares nursing homes veterans homes um, we can do weekend retreats will be open year-round um, if we're if the camp facility is not being utilized by special needs group then we can rent it out to uh, an organization or a business or corporation just for the additional source of revenue. Because the, the goal is that the campers will not have to pay uh, when they attend camp.
3: Yeah. What's the source of your funding?
4: Uh, well, right now for construction, um, I have an interesting story. I sure. think you'll, it, it reminds me of what you were just talking about a few minutes ago um, in your intro. Um, so this is a $28 million facility. And of course, we're in Mississippi, so we're not exactly in the the um, the wealthiest state. Mm-hmm. But um, so in 2013, you know, we got our land. 2017 paid it off, and then we were wondering how in the world are we going to build this 28 million dollar facility? And someone had told us that um, reach out to the CBs in Gulfport. We think they could build you a lake. So that's kind of kind of where we started with construction. We reached out to them. Hmm. And we said, can you build our lake? And they said, well, what are you doing exactly? So we sent them our preliminary plans for, you know, the dream, what we want to do. And they said, oh, there's a program, um, it's, it's a Department of Defense program, it's called Innovative Readiness Training, and basically military civil engineering units from all over the country, from all branches of the military can come to Mississippi and build your camp for you. Hmm. That sounded very foreign, but we said we're in. (laughs) So we completed the application process, which was it it was tough, but we made it through it, Um, and they approved us. Hmm. So in 2018, um, you know, if you're in the military, typically you have um, two weeks during the summer that you have to do annual training. Right. So what that looks like is for about six months at a time, every two weeks we get a new group of military personnel, mostly civil engineers. It may be um, 500 or well I'm sorry not 500 300 people from our National Guardsmen from Kentucky, mm. or maybe a hundred Marines from Louisiana or you know so we've had people from almost every state come to Mississippi to assist us with construction through this DoD program. And that partnership has saved us about five million dollars mm. in construction costs. So they provide labor and then we provide all of the materials and all of the specialty labor.
3: Is the is the facility open to just kids and residents of Mississippi?
4: No. So primarily we will of course serve Mississippi because that's where our need sure. is. But um, we will not, you know, Louisiana actually doesn't have a facility like this, so we feel like we'll have a lot of people from Louisiana come over. Yeah. Um, Tennessee doesn't have one quite like this. Alabama does. Um, Texas does. You know, some of the other states have great facilities, but this is just a deficit. Yeah. Why why is it important? Why is it important? Because there's such a significant need. Because I'm sure you know, if you know anybody with special needs, Mississippi has almost nothing for our kids and adults with special needs. So this Mm -hmm. is something very magical. It's something nothing like Mississippi has ever had before. And it's something that other states do that we know how to do it now.
3: What kind of feedback do you get from family, parents? Uh, of the children that attend the camp, participate.
4: Oh, they're so excited. We get we get phone calls not only from the parents and of the children, but from these groups that are just ready. And their question is always, Are you ready? Are you open yet? Yeah. And we're like, No, not quite. We we need another year or so, give us a little more time. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to tell you, um, based on what you were saying, or it reminded me of what you were saying earlier about how people view Mississippi. Yeah. Um, all of these military personnel, you know, like I said, they're from all over mm-hmm. and a lot of them are signed to come to Mississippi for their two week, you know, annual training period and they They don't really want to come. They've heard all the bad things. We've heard some of the stories. Even their commanders have told them about, you know, when you get there, this is what you need to expect. But when they get here, they see something totally different. You know, we try to really shower them with Southern hospitality. Um, We show them something about Mississippi that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. And then so they come in and they get to help build something that is going to transform our state for generations to come so they come here they build something they learn about us who we really are what we're really like and then they leave knowing that they've left their heart at Camp Kamasa and so there are, there are signs all over Camp Kamasa where these people have come you know they give us coins they um, you know, they, they leave their mark yeah. I'll say each group kind of leaves their mark.
3: That's awesome I, I, I wonder how many of uh, the campers meet meet others that they didn't know before they went to camp and they develop mm-hmm. lifelong relationships with them and and uh, so do their families
4: absolutely so um you know camping provides something for kids that um a lot of activities don't for one um, You know, we have groups say kids with cancer, you know, maybe they are missing a limb, maybe they don't have hair. And so, you know, when they're out among the public, you know, or that they're at the regular school, you know, a lot of times they get made fun of or picked at, or they just they feel like the outsider. But when you go to camp, then you're with kids who are like you. Yeah. You feel accepted. It doesn't. Nobody's going to look at you or say anything to you. You're just truly accepted. Mm-hmm. And so Camp Camas is going to be that place where kids just belong. Yeah. They just belong.
3: And, and those that uh, that oversee the camp. Are, are they volunteers are they they paid by the camp itself? How's okay. that work? so
4: so right now we're you know we're still in construction so mm-hmm. what that will look like when we're operational we'll have about 13 mm-hmm. to 15 full-time employees okay. because I mean this is it's on four hundred and twenty six acres I mean this is a we're basically building a city right now for special needs kids and adults wow. so um, so you know, but we will uh, have a lot of volunteers actually right now we have a lot of volunteer opportunities
3: okay. Uh, quickly if someone wants to help either with their time or with their treasure how do they do that
4: okay go to our website it is campkamasa.com um, you can help we have a specialty tag follow us on social media um, we need donations of course we have volunteer opportunities call our office we can get you down to volunteer um, and if you want to see it please come down Well, we'd love to take you out for a in tour County,
3: in County Crystal Campaya, Springs area absolutely. Tanya Mohawk with Camp Kamasa has been our guest here on Midday sounds like a great Effort, great, cost. Thanks for coming on, Tony. Thank Appreciate you so it. much. We're stepping aside for a break right here from the Element Wealth Studios, and coming right back.
0: Days with Gerard Gibbert. It is awesome. On. on Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Middays, live from the Element Wealth Studios. Coming up at 11.05, Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics from Mississippi State University. Should be an interesting discussion with Mr. Leggett about inflation and finance and economics, because there's a whole lot of stuff going on there. But, Rhino, you were sharing with me during the break a fascinating story related to uh, uh, Camp Kamasa, tell us about that.
2: Yeah, so uh, you heard Ms. Mohawk talk about how you have different groups of military civil engineers come to Camp Kamasa and help build the campus and, and, and build basically, like she said, a city there mm-hmm. for special needs people. And it brought back to memory someone we had on good things a while back, a uh, Chief Master Sergeant Stacy Gilman, who was one of the commanders who came down. I believe he helped at Camp Kamasa three summers in a row to help get it going and get it built. But while he was here in Mississippi, in the Crystal Springs area, he fell in love with Mississippi because he's originally from Massachusetts. So he decided, you know what? I'm going to tell my wife we need to come to Mississippi. So they did. They uprooted from Massachusetts, moved to Mississippi, and now they've got the... uh, I want to say it's the Wisteria Inn. It's a bed and breakfast there in Crystal Springs. And if I'm not mistaken, they also purchased the uh, the old grocery store there. Hmm. That's interesting. And I think, actually, if memory serves, he has now taken over as the director of Main Street Association in Crystal Springs. Wow. So visited the great state of Mississippi. We've been talking about that today
3: and and saw firsthand what we already know. It's a pretty good place to live work, raise a family, worship, et cetera, and said, I think I'm going to put my roots here. How about that? We have a great story to tell. We just got to improve our telling of it, in my view. And uh, I think we're, we're, you know, it's like anything else. When you're around it, you don't realize it. It's the incumbency issue again. But when uh, you travel away, as uh, I certainly have in my career, you miss it. You want to go home, and people that come here find it to be, often, a better place than where they're presently living. But they need work, of course, most of the time, too, so that's why it's important that, that we continue to grow our economy and create those opportunities so that they take up residence here. All right, so back to the Jackson Water situation. So the Department of Justice has assigned this gentleman, his name is Ted Hennepin, and he is going to be paid $400,000 a year, which, by the way, includes his salary, his living expenses, and his travel expenses. Other staff, under his purview and his organization, I don't know how many, no report of that yet, there's $725,000 allocated for that per year. That's uh, to include, at a minimum, a local deputy administrator, a senior project manager, other project managers, contract inspectors, contract administrator, invoice processors, and an environmental compliance manager. That sounds like the team that will be tasked with rectifying, I guess to the extent they can, Not sure where money is going to be coming from that is also needed, as most experts estimate, to correct the issues. That doesn't grow on trees, though it does get dropped out of helicopters, (laughs) we have seen uh, in the last couple of years for sure. And so... It's not clear to me exactly, other than getting it to some degree of stability, talking about the water system itself, much the way the state did here a couple of months ago, and the governor commented on this uh, matter and also said that when the state got involved, they were, and I'm using his terminology, floored at the negligence and the incompetence in the violation of a series A litany of standards, uh, legal standards, literally, in the operation of the city's water system. But yesterday, (laughs) Rhino, I I caught on the way home a presser held by Attorney General Merrick Garland. I got to tell you, I was getting incensed driving down Highway 49, listening to this guy. Because it's another situation where... So yesterday he came out to talk about... I've never seen this before. It's somewhat unprecedented that an attorney general goes to the public square and is boasting about recent achievements by his organization, the Department of Justice, the Attorney General's office there. Never heard that before. i like just bragging about these legal victories. But the common thread in all of these was race. Racism has got to be injected in everything. We've racialized everything in our society, have we not? S- seems to me like we have. I don't think the I'm left-ass. The left has. right, right. But they've got a bigger bully pulpit at this point. They're in charge. Look no further than every cabinet member. Uh, right, which was, as I said earlier, or, or around the time the president was appointing, nominated. Does, does that
2: include the bald guy that loves wearing dresses and makeup that stole the lady's luggage? We'll get to that one. Can you, It's
3: non-binary.
2: That's a dude.
3: Wants to be referred to as they. <laughs> I agree.
2: Obviously a dude wearing lipstick.
3: And like, majored in nuclear something or another at MIT. Obviously a bright person but weird. I, you know, have at it. I don't care. The, the problem I have with it, once again, do you think for a minute that person was hired and put into that deputy director position because of their capabilities and qualifications and experience? No. It was 100% because of what they are, not who they are, not their CV, not their resume. That's where I have a problem. Well, this Merrick Garland, the Attorney General, he's an ideological hack. I listened to that stuff yesterday, and I had forgotten that not so long ago, within his department, he created a a sub-department, if you will. The Department of Environmental Justice. What is that?
2: And so, if you... if it's you been li- a Thunberg with a badge. <laughs> How good dare point. you?
3: Good point. <laughs> that was great. I just conjured up the image of her. <laughs> with that... Oh, gosh, with that face. Uh, that snarly look on her face. But the environmental justice stuff really perturbed me because... They, they use this, this terminology that they very carefully select. I mean, it's wordsmith very carefully, as you well know. And there are people that are really good at that. But it's the civil rights, right? So they believe their total function as the Department of Justice is to defend civil rights, protect civil rights. But their definition of civil rights ain't what I think you and I believe it would be. We would think that would extend to us as well, but I feel like we're getting left out because of our physical attributes. We don't really check the boxes. It just seems that way. And I may be over-exaggerating here, but he said that this Department of Environmental Justice... Their function, their role, their mission is to fight for so called justice in defense of those overburdened communities, overburdened by environmental harm. That whatever is, is environmental harm, it has been more harmful. And in fact, violated the civil rights of certain overburdened is the term they use communities. What does that mean exactly? Is this Pete Buttigieg talking about interstates being built through my Bridges are racist. <laughs> like, is the so this environmental harm it only affects certain communities? I, I'm struggling with this.
2: It's because it doesn't make any logical sense. It's all coming out the other end of these people.
3: Well, make no mistake. This Jackson Water situation, this is where this is going. There's no doubt in my mind. Before it's all over with, this is where this is going. This is a person appointed by this Merrick Garland ideologue. This is what's going to happen, in in my view. That's, That's the reason I'm... It's just the connection of the two. And he was boasting about that appointment yesterday. In the name of environmental justice, coming right back on Midday. Stay with us.
0: Are we going to do this? Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling.
4: Three, two, one.
0: On Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Jenny Loggins from Caddyshack. <laughs> so many great one-liners. My golf buddies and I, we blurt them out every now and then. <laughs> uh, and a lot of that, uh, they said in reading uh, an account of the production of the movie, was just ad-lib. They're just, it's
2: just so smart, so witty. That's why the sequel was so bad.
3: That's exactly right. It was
2: scripted. You could not capture lightning in a bottle again. I think you're right about that.
3: I mean, so good. They were <laughs> danger-filled <laughs> Bill Murray. Looks good on you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, gosh. They don't make them like that anymore. So just digging back into this Justice Department order to appoint an interim third-party manager of the Jackson water system. Garland said the Justice Department's involvement in the Jackson water crisis is part of the department's strategy for achieving environmental justice in quote, overburdened and underserved communities. I, I, I would certainly acknowledge that the city of Jackson has a serious problem with its water infrastructure. Whether or not it's accurate to say that is a result of being overburdened and or underserved is subject to debate. Underserved by the people... Elected to office by the people of the city of Jackson? Yeah, I would acknowledge that. Who have honestly governed incompetently, certainly with respect to the city's water system. And if what is going to happen here is that this third-party administrator, it sounds like, based on the list of folks that the the administrator will be hiring and will be working with as part of the team sounds to me like they intend to contract with third party vendors, contractors to remedy some of the issues. That's what is needed for sure. But when you're doing that, when you look at project managers and contract administrators, well of course that's what they're going to be doing, but if they're going to award these contracts with third-party suppliers for these services, using the same procurement policies and processes in place today in the city of Jackson, I submit it's destined for failure. That's how we got here. It's these no-bid personal services contracts, or these requirements to have a certain level of minority participation by vendors, that's how we got here. That's exactly how we got here. Because we're not doing a fair, open, competitive vetting of the various proposals from contractors, Which provides the best value for the taxpayers, which is the way they should be awarded, as they have scored on the detailed RFPs for these services, for these projects. No, instead, so much consideration is awarded to those who have certain levels of minority participation. That will get you hired quicker than being the vendor who provides the best value, the lowest and best. That's more important to the decision makers. Make sure that their buddies are taken care of, that somehow minorities are participating in the value of the contract. That's more important. That gets scrubbed. It gets vetted, it gets filtered, it gets analyzed. It's a high priority. And is weighted higher, often, in the scoring mechanisms. Where there are scoring mechanisms, this is how we got to where we are. And Jackson's not unique in that respect. It's somewhat outsized in the state of Mississippi, but this is true in federal contracting. This is true in lots of other public sector environments, and now we're seeing it to a great extent in the private sector, which they can do whatever they want. I don't agree with it, but they can do what they want as far as I'm concerned and should be able to do so without the burden of government, the long arm of government intervening. But we've seen a number of them. Private sector companies come out and say, yeah, we're going to be targeting minority-owned businesses As suppliers, as partners, business partners, we don't really care if what they're providing is the best and the lowest cost and delivers the best experience and value. No, just about what they are. Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics from Mississippi State, coming up after this break.
0: Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back, everyone, to Midday Super Talk, Mississippi, back in the Element Well studios on this Friday Eve. Joining us now, Jim Leggett, lecturer of economics, Mississippi State University. Jim, good to see you, sir.
1: Good morning, how are you doing today?
3: I'm doing great. So, wanted to have you on to give us your thoughts on this rather sticky inflationary (laughs) environment that we have and just other economic matters as well. I guess the big news that really spurred uh, lots of buying in the markets yesterday was Fed uh, Chairman Jerome Powell signaling uh, a bit of a moderate tone (laughs) with respect to future rate hikes, indicating maybe we'll see uh, half a point coming up in December, and then maybe subsequently we could be in line for even quarter-point increases. But he also made it very clear that we ain't done, that uh, we got a long way to go, I think was the terminology he used. But the markets still loved that. We saw lots of green, and the Dow ended up. Closing up seven hundred and some odd today. It's giving back some of that profit. What What do you think about all this? It seems to be lots of conflicts, and every economist has a different uh, view. What do they say? You got to have two hands to be an economist, right? Because you've always got. On the other hand,
1: what? What Uh, what is it? uh, Harry Truman said, "Give me a one-handed economist." (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Yeah, I think what the uh, chairman was reacting to. I think first question is. Uh, breaking the back of inflation is a really challenging task. And that's kind of one of those things. The best is kind of like a best way to get your car out of a ditch is not get in it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you and I are approximately, like we're approximately the same age. We paid an awful price for getting rid of inflation in the early 80s. Yep. And the, what I think the Fed is reacting to is there are some glimmers that maybe this thing is working. But you can't declare victory just because you're winning a basketball game at the first media timeout. Yeah, and of course, stock markets don't like higher interest rates for right. lots of reasons. Right. But I think uh, if the if uh, Chairman uh, Powell is ch- uh, uh, channeling his hero, Chairman Volker uh, is, he, he knows it has to be diligent, and it's like a lot of things in life; you kind of have to pay the price early. Otherwise, the, the price gets big. And the Fed's real challenge is you can't go too hard or too strong and you're trying to reach that gentle path. In the 90s, they had a term I like called the Goldilocks economy. Uh, and I, Now, whether he, they achieved that or not, who knows. If he achieves that, we'll put a statue next to him, next to Volcker. If not, <laughs> he goes with uh, some, some of those uh, who went before. You no, know, certainly Volcker and Greenspan in my mind, did what the Fed's supposed to do, is, okay, it was kind of okay for like 25 years, and that was pretty neat. <laughs> right. So we, we did see,
3: uh, I think just this morning, some reports on October consumer spending, which uh, a bit surprisingly was still strong. Still strong. Yes. I, I think that uh, Americans still have, they're still fairly liquid. Uh, although we are seeing a fairly sharp increase of, of consumption using credit, that 's up uh, to high levels we haven't seen in some while. But heck, uh, Jim, the target the Fed target is two percent inflation, and while we've seen that trimmed a little bit from the 8.3 percent or so high in the last few months, we've got a long way to go, as Powell said. My concern and want to get your take on this really the main tool the Fed has is interest rates. They're they are in charge of monetary policy. How do we tame inflation without fiscal policy to boost supply?
1: The short answer is you don't. Because uh, when you kind of logically think through this, the Fed can only do so much because interest rates really means the money supply. But if the uh, fiscal policy is running up debt without impunity, you, you're never going to get there. And if you dig into this stuff, what you find at periods of high inflation, particularly hyperinflation, uh, fiscal policy plays a role. In the classic case is uh, uh, the Weimar Republic, which was Germany post-World War One. Ponder this one. 29,500% in one month. Hmm. You know, so what, basically what that meant, means for our listeners if you had any money in October 1, by about October 10th you you're wiped out. Hmm. And then, of course what's worse is that basically destroys that society and then you've got Herr hitler and let's also remember you know why i think sound money is so important uh, when the soviet union collapsed everybody thought the world was going to be better off and they went through a round of inflation basically destroyed whatever middle class he had and longing for stability uh, the, the russian people uh, not, uh Chose that, uh, Vladimir Putin as their leader. So lest we think this economic stuff is just something people who make up exams for you to study, <laughs> you know, political, you know, I can't, just came up with two examples where periods of inflation basically changed the course of history.
3: Yeah, that's that's a great point. hadn't really thought of it from that uh, angle, but that makes total sense. Uh, you know, we're I'm I'm watching various market analysts, and yesterday I caught one. Who said that uh, they they look for a, a reputable uh, investment analyst that said they look for the S and P to decline by as much as 25 percent in the first half of '23, sitting at just under 4,000 right now. We're talking about what down to just over 3,000, should that occur, <laughs> and that uh, that that would throw a, a shock obviously into the market. Others are predicting a short. Uh, term Santa Claus rally coming up here in the next few days, and then a decline, yeah, which is typical this time of year. But they're all trying to second-guess what is the Fed going to do, but more importantly, what's inflation going to do? Because at this point, it's it's had a minimal. The Fed's action has had a minimal impact on inflation.
1: And in fact, the point to remember is uh, uh, you know, that's the Fed, let's say the Fed meant to change, uh, the studies indicate that's a six to 18 month lag before it kicks in. Yeah. Okay. And they started, if I remember correctly, started this in April, yeah. might, might have been March, I but not think... matter for the point of this discussion. Uh, if it's six months, you're just seeing a tidbit of it. And the challenge the Fed has is, given that period, is they may overshoot the target. Now, I think that's those folks who are pessimistic saying is, um, okay, by the time all that kicks in, uh, you've solved one problem, now you're getting another problem. And that, that's why folks kind of like myself are, are make the argument, you're not going to fine-tune the economy because it is too complex of a thing. And just kind of leave things alone and just let the ups and downs kind of ride a little bit because you may end up exacerbating. An analogy that uh, my students kind of like is, and uh, I suspect a lot of our listeners uh, fancy themselves as barbecue pit masters. And you know how building a fire is for smoking uh, meat is you got to hit it just right. And if you throw on too much wood too quickly, it doesn't do anything, and then it flames up and you burn whatever wonderful meat you were going to have. Yeah. And I think that's the best way to think about uh, what the Fed does because, and you pointed out, Inflation is its own beast, and we have a, a world with 8 billion people and an economy that's worth around $20 trillion. A bunch of computers and, and reasonably smart people in D.C. aren't going to be able to figure this out. <laughs> and now, right. if you had a stock market for next year at this time, you and I would be sitting on an island, right? <laughs>
3: that's right. Well, the other thing that that Powell noted uh, a couple of minutes left. Get your thoughts on this. Was that we still have 1.7 job openings for every worker yeah. looking for a job. Yeah. So we still have a very light, uh, tight labor market. And let's let's be honest. The goal with the increase in the rates is to take people out of the labor market, to take them out of the the, um, uh, the being the ranks of being employed, so they have less money to fuel inflation. What, so what's hey, the Andy,
1: answer that? Think about it. what's an unemployment three seven right now. Yeah. I suspect for for the last year plus, our economy has been running past its capacity. Uh, and they, there's something called the natural rate of unemployment. Yes. And it's somewhere between four and four and a half, probably closer to four and a half. And think about any machine you can think of. If you run it o- over its capacity for very long, it doesn't end well. Yeah. And for an economy, it means inflation. Now, for your car engine, you blow it up.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think he's going to really stop with a hawkish uh, approach until he sees that unemployment number uh, tick up more. I mean, this are two big things they look at, right? That and, of course, uh, inflation. And at, at this point, I don't think he's seeing what he wants to, although uh, he's, he's trying to walk a fine line and not tip us into a, a serious so-called hard landing a recession. But... A tall order, to say the least, Jim. Appreciate you coming on. And
1: that's why I kind of made my statement earlier. The best way to get out of the ditch is not get into it.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Great point. Appreciate it, Jim. Thanks for coming on.
1: All right, you guys have a good one. Enjoy your holiday, and uh, we'll have it figured out by the next time. (laughs) I hope so. I hope
3: so. Yes, sir. You too. Middays will step aside. Coming right back from the Element Well Studios. Back in the Element Well Studios. Middays on Super Talk Mississippi. Today on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, you'll hear an interview with Sherry Smith of Christmas on the Creek celebration in Leland. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar is presented by VisitMississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2 p.m. On most of Super Talk Mississippi stations, Supertalk.fm, and available everywhere you listen to podcast. So I'm I'm dressed in the suit and tie today. And it's because after the show I'm headed to Madison Central High School. One of uh my baseball players coached him at age thirteen, is uh having his signing day ceremony signing to go play college baseball, and he invited me to, to come. I'm so honored and so thrilled to be invited to be a part of it. Uh, gosh, he's a great kid, great player, great family, and look forward to that. But uh, talk, just talk, So I dressed for him and his family this is the reason I've got the dress duds on today. So I'll be out at Madison Central High School in the auditorium at 2 o'clock for that. Looking forward to it. Let's see. Marion Greenwood on the ceasefire text line, which is 601-879-4395, says, How can those people be prosecuted and sentenced without a trial? Talking about the January 6th committee. Well, Mary, the January 6th committee cannot sentence anyone, cannot... I don't believe, convict anyone. They're an information-gathering body, and I believe their intention, their mission, was to to expose, through hearings, information related to the January 6th invasion, incursion of the Capitol, with the – certainly their sights set on the DOJ taking action, arresting people, and – uh, putting them up for trial, prosecuting them, sentencing, sentencing those who broke the law, all in a court of law. That actually did happen in the DOJ. In fact, uh, Garland was bragging about that yesterday. Five Oath Keepers, leaders and members uh, on rather serious charges, including two leaders on the seditious conspiracy charge, so he, he was certainly taking a victory lap on that yesterday. That's a little unusual. It is interesting uh, interesting note that he actually, he being Merrick Garland, did the same thing, and, and that is he went public after a verdict and celebrated the verdict when he was the prosecutor in charge of the case, the, the government's case, against Oklahoma City bombing, a bomber, Timothy McVeigh. That's rather interesting. So the January 6th committee is, is more of an information. I mean, let's, let's be honest, it's, it's, um, it's more of just an act than anything else. It's just theater. It's political theater, and it's all about letting them get their two cents in and drag all these people before them and question them and gather information. But the case against those involved in the incursion was honestly separately handled by the DOJ, and so uh, verdicts have been handed down in that respect, guilty verdicts convictions of five Oath Keepers. That's one of the things talked about yesterday. Robin, uh, pardon me, Robin Hattiesburg says, but the state is racist for f- not providing funding that wasn't applied for. Talking about the situation in the city of Jackson. I mean, it, you know, you could go down a litany, I think, of, of failures and negligence on the part of the city of Jackson that, produced what is a, a, a water and sewer system that's just broken, and not sufficient, not adequate to serve the needs of the citizens of Jackson. But yeah, there were a number of mistakes, oversights, failures along the way that contributed to that. But of course, given the fact that we have, uh, certainly as Rhino puts out, put, uh, uh, said the left, has racialized everything in this country. It, it's just embedded in every policy, and every discussion, and every debate, and every speech. And it is front and center.
2: Well, it's because if you remove the feelings that you get from invoking racism, their policies are crap. Yeah, that's true. Complete and utter crap. <laughs> so, in this particular
3: case, I, I don't know that the DOJ and this appointment of this third party to oversee the Jackson's water system. What's the goal there? It says to stabilize the water system, but that ain't happening without a bunch of money. But nonetheless, along the way, I feel certain that they will make every attempt they possibly can within their purview to lay the blame at the feet of the state government and others in attribute it all to racism. It's just It's politically popular. It just is. And I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, there is a dab of money coming their way from the most recent uh, continuing resolution, the spending bill that funds the government. Senator Wicker was able to insert $20 million for the city of Jackson's specifically for their their water and sewer system. I say once again, it's another situation where where does that money come from? We don't have the money, but that doesn't seem to matter. We just spend it, whether we have it or not, no matter what. It's just, well, is that that something I'd like to get done? Is that politically popular? Okay, put it in there. It doesn't matter where we get the money. I'm just calling I'm Senator Wicker. I've said it many times before. It seems to be the way things roll in Washington. Uh, across the House and the Senate when it comes to bringing home the bacon. And sadly, most people are on board with that. Oh, it's going to benefit me? Well, then it's okay if we rack up more debt and continue to deficit spend. I'm getting benefit from it. Not you, though. You can't have any curses on you. You're running up the deficit and the debt. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not too terribly much, honest, honestly. And if you went to Washington and you didn't bring home the bacon, you're likely not to get reelected. That's why all of them are in there lobbying for their their piece of the largesse that we don't have the money to pay for. It's just incredible. Decades of mismanagement by elected Jackson officials, period. Nothing else involved, says Robin in Hattiesburg. Yeah, I tend to agree with you. Mike uh, in Gulfport says, does the assigning of the 400K expert essentially take the state out of any say in the work? That is correct, unless the state provides funding, Mike. And that's one of the things that the governor made clear in his statement after this announcement yesterday, was that the state would be removed from responsibility and, and just out of the picture in terms of managing the city. And it really should be. We don't want the state managing municipal water systems. They did it because, essentially, the governor invoked uh, the provision that allows the state to to assume control when a municipality is out of trust and not um, adhering to the standards. And that's actually under, it, it allows him to appoint the Department of Health to come in and And assume some level of authority to just stabilize the water system, which is what happened, as you recall. And like he said, like the governor said, what was learned when the state officials got involved was just incredible. Incredible mismanagement, negligence, incompetence, violations all over the place. Floored was the term the governor used. Again, I still maintain that unless the procurement process is fixed in the city of Jackson, I think we're just treading water. Uh, And it's because the procurement process does not seek the best outcome for the citizens. It seeks the best outcome for those involved in supplying the goods and services in response to the request from the city. And there are a lot of people who benefit from those selections. And that's where the problem, talking about the vendor selected in the procurement process, that is the core problem that needs to be addressed, in my view. We're stepping aside for a break right here on Middays. much more to talk about, including the rail strike that we touched on yesterday. It's been averted. Stay with us. I could have used a little Kokomo weather yesterday.
0: <laughs>
3: so, back in the Elementwell studios, middays, the Democrats have named who will be their leadership in the House of Representatives. Of course, they no longer have control. By the way, the final numbers are in. And it did land, as we thought, with uh, in the House, 222 Republicans to 213 Democrats. So not, uh, a margin of nine there. Slightly better than what Nancy Pelosi had to work with when she had a margin of five to six. There were some vacancies. In fact,. Uh, a Democrat member just passed away a few days ago, earlier this week. Probably saw that. 61 years old. Of colorectal cancer, if I'm not mistaken. And so that vacates a seat. Um, but they've named their leadership, and they are Hakeem Jeffries of New York, will be the minority leader. And then Catherine Clark of Massachusetts and Pete Aguilar of California, a will be the whip and caucus chair respectively. Well, this will be the first time I believe that there are no white males among leadership. And you know, I don't that doesn't bother me except that I believe it's intentional. I believe it's inten- intentional to exclude those who lecture us all the all the time about inclusion or engaged in exclusion. Not only that, not sure if you caught this, Rhino, but the Anti-Defamation League been around a while and their mission essentially was to fight against oppression and defamation and civil rights violations, hate targeting the Jewish community for the most part, they now have defined or updated their definition of racism, and it is defined according to the ADL as the marginalization and or oppression of people of color based on a socially constructed racial hierarchy that privileges white people. That's some of that flowered-up, grandiloquent language there. you got to
2: remember, this is the same group of morons that have an entire website full of random numbers that are supposedly racist. I've heard that. In fact, let me scroll through these numbers. <laughs> Let's see. One hundred and nine. That's a racist number. Well, okay, why? What did they say? Uh, did they give an explanation? Numeric <laughs> shorthand for the number of countries anti-Semites <laughs> claim Jews have been expelled from. <laughs> yeah, that's what I think when I write right. the number. Or 12, the number 12 is racist. Number 13 is racist. Number 14 is racist. Number 18 is racist. 28, get it out of here. It's racist. 38, oh my God, it's racist. Oh, gosh. Uh, right on cue is my earlier comment that
3: everything is being racialized. Now numbers have, right? Have you heard that milk? You heard about that one, right? Lactose. And so there are groups calling for the elimination of the serving of milk in schools because apparently people of color uh, have a higher occurrence of lactose intolerance. Therefore, we're not serving milk anymore. Are we going to go take it out of the stores while we're at it? I mean, couldn't they buy it there? Is that the solution? Why is that always the solution? Always the solution is, is to take away something. Do away with it. No more Aunt Jemima, right, on the syrup. No more Eskimos on the Eskimo bars. Just on and on and on. Just have to eliminate it. No more Uncle Ben's rice. What, what problems did those solve? None. It costs money to do that, retooling all that packaging. Branding, etc.
2: But they sure as hell made some woke idiot feel powerful for about 45 minutes.
3: That's exactly the point. It's a short term. Oh, I feel better now. Okay, next. So, what this says to me, the ADL's definition of racism, and thank you for informing our audience that this group is so nutty, honestly think had a worthy cause at one point. But like so many other things... It's evolved to the nuttiness category. I will have to tell you though, Rhino, I'm at the point now where anytime I see the word marginalization or decolonization, credibility is like lost.
2: Oh yeah, I just tune out. They they literally have nothing of value for me to hear them say if one of the first things out of their mouth is, we gotta decolonize. (laughs) But What that tells me is you've decolonized your intelligence. You're dumber than a box of rocks, and you need to go get some help. So I saw a
3: report to that end the other day about a college professor somewhere in the country that has proclaimed that she will no longer issue grades. Everybody that shows up Gets in I don't even think you have to show up. Just register for the class. That is her method of decolonizing her classroom. Was it colonized to start with? What the hell is that? Okay, so the ADL says racism can only uh, exist only exist as it pertains to people of color. They're the only ones who can be discriminated against in a racial sense, uh, that white people cannot be. So you know, talking about the city of Jackson there, I know, that has these procurement policies that give preferential treatment to people of color? Forget about that. Pay no attention to that. That wouldn't be racism against prospective white vendors. No! The hypocrisy and the double standard is nothing short of mind-boggling. It's, and it's this deliberate approach that they employed. It. It's like the ADL going out and redefining this term. I loathe racism of all sorts. There's no place for it in our society. And I've said it many times, that is... Something that lives in the heart, in the mind. It is not something you just define on a website and say, here, take it. That's what it is. And the next thing you know, they're claiming that numbers are racist. Now it's milk. You could just, we could just say here on the program, okay, now we're going to list everything that is not considered racist in our society and just be silent for a couple of minutes, that's what would meet that criteria. That's where we are. But yet, these are the same people that create this stuff that lecture us about not being unified. They're going to unify
2: us. It, it's so, and the big thing here is that maybe they wouldn't see racism everywhere they look. If they quit spending all their time memorizing the 99,000 things that are supposedly racist. That is an excellent point. Because if you go through the list of all this crap they say is racist, you probably haven't heard of 99% of it. Because you're not racist.
3: <laughs> That's an excellent point. Gee whiz. Okay, CJ in the Delta say, says... Snow is racist! Of course it is! Thomas and Greenwood, it doesn't matter where your heart is, Gerard, you're stereotyped by default. And it's a great point you're making there, Thomas, because the very people who constantly blast us and trash those of us on the right as all engaging in stereotyping and profiling are doing that very thing. It's, it's like the, the ultimate... Form of gaslighting, honestly. Which, by the way, we talked about it the other day, is the most, the most uh, um, researched term for a definition, according to Merriam-Webster, who publishes that. Gaslighting <laughs> is the term that's gotten the most reviews on the online Merriam.
2: It's Webster- just the latest <laughs> psycho babble that gets misused, especially by the left. <laughs> Right up there with PTSD and triggered. <laughs> Things that at one point actually had meaning. <laughs>
3: James in Hattiesburg says, Is it racist if I hate all races? Man, I don't know. I'd have to wrap my head around that one, James. That's a little complicated. I hate NASCAR, horse racing, running, relay races. Does that make me a racist, says James I have to laugh at it because it's in—it's absurd. It's insane. Well, no, you get
2: the joke there. Those are all races.
3: Oh, I got that, yeah. Okay. I, I got the the, the context and of what he was trying to say. Yeah, I mean, sure, mark that down as well, James. Might as well. Everything else qualifies. If it's got the word race in it, it's racist. We're coming back on Midday. Stay with us. Come on. Middays with
0: Gerard Gibbert. All right, we are back. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: Well, Studios, final segment, Hour 2, Van Halen bumping us in here. Sure was sad to see the announcement of the passing of Christine McVie of Fleetwood Mac, 79 years old. Wow. Unbelievable. Such a talent. Responsible for many of the hit songs she wrote. Very talented individual. Golly. Sorry to see that go. Just... Reminds me I'm getting older all the time, so Hank Zuber representative Hank Zuber down on uh, the Gulf Coast, represents Jackson County where Ocean Springs is located, is having a town hall meeting this this Monday, December the fifth five thirty to six thirty at Citizens Bank. Just wanted to get that out there uh, by the way, if this were an event. Uh, A fundraising event? I wouldn't announce it. Town hall? Uh, The representative uh, shared with me that is what the nature of this meeting is. A town hall where constituents could come and visit and speak directly and hear the representative speak? I think that's appropriate. Honestly, I'd like to see more of our representatives holding town halls such as this, and many do, and we appreciate that. But if you're uh, one of Representative Zuber's constituents, I would recommend if you're able to catch that visit with uh, Hank yourself and let him know what's on your mind, any concerns you may have, uh, any particular priorities you may want uh, him to to uh, pursue as he represents you. Well, that's what we should all do, should do, in my view, in engaging in the political process. but. Representative Zuber, this coming Monday, December 5th, 5.30 to 6.30, at the Citizens Bank. I assume there, Rep. Zuber, if you're listening, that would be the Citizens Bank in Ocean Springs uh, area. We did have earlier a text, uh, Rhino, that I'm looking for. It was someone who was concerned about Uh, not receiving a call back or not being able to get through to the governor. Can you find that particular one for me here? I'm looking for it as well. We've had... uh...
2: Yeah, they, they chimed in and said, just wanted to put this out there. Okay. I just called the governor's office to discuss a matter that's important to me and my family. The receptionist was very rude and basically said Governor Reeves would not take my call or return my call or listen to my concerns in any capacity. It was very off-putting from the office of an elected public servant. The issue was not anti-Reeves or anti-Republican or anti-conservative, just a statewide, non-partisan issue that I'd like to see focused on. Hate to see this coming from our great state's highest office holder's staff.
3: Thanks for reading that, Um uh, Apologize for straining your already strained voice there, but do appreciate that. You know, I. Uh, if, if that's if that's what happened, I'm not really sure exactly of all the details and all the circumstances. We don't know the name of this particular uh, listener or viewer, whatever the case may be. But let's think about this from a common sense and practical perspective. You can't possibly, as much as you can, personally return every single call. You couldn't get anything done. You'd be on the phone 24 hours a day. That's not making excuses that's just that 's just sharing what is reality. My recommendation would be to start with your rep and your senator that 's really I think the best approach in the way it should work. Your rep and senator, of course that 's why it 's structured that way they don 't represent 2 point9 million people, they would represent the number for the district depending on whether or not it 's a Senate or a house district, the house being uh, a smaller number. That's why they call it the People's House, and and start there. Uh, you know, I I personally have never had. It's just me and anecdotally have never had any um, any sort of conversations with anyone in the governor's office, whether they be in person or on the phone that that have been anything less than fully res- respectful. So I I don't want to speak. Uh, in and in that regard, I wasn't there. We don't know. We just have what you reported to us. Um, but, you know, when you start thinking about the myriad issues that the governor's office is having to work on, that's why you have a staff. I mean, you have to rely on your staff. Like any organization, you can't possibly personally address and handle and, and um, deal with every single matter in every single piece of communication. And, fr- frankly, we don't want them to. It would be very unproductive and, and ineffective approach to management. Because that's what they are. They're managers. So I, I would just recommend to start with a rep and senator. If you care to share with us what the issue is, we, we um, of course, commit to keep that totally private. Anytime our listeners, anybody that texts us here, Rhino says, Don't say this on the air. Keep it private. We always honor their, their wish there. We're happy to do that. And maybe something we can help you with, or maybe something we can, can pass on. But I, I got to tell you, I was at the governor's mansion last night for uh, the annual uh, media re- Christmas reception. They couldn't have been more gracious hosts, were the governor and First Lady Ely. We're coming right back after the news. Stay with us. Get ready, get ready
0: to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: Welcome back everyone. Middays Super Talk Mississippi live from the Element Well Studios on this
2: Friday Eve.
3: Man, I'm so glad that bad weather got out of here without really leaving too much uh, damage in its weight because, gosh, it seemed like there was build up to that. And I, don't, I certainly don't fault the forecasters for that. It, that's what it looked like. And it's all, uh, for the most part, models built by computers with the best information they have, but sometimes you can't time that dead perfect. And I guess one of the things I, I learned the other night glued to the television or my phone when I didn't have television for a little while there, uh, watching the the live uh, weather, was that once a cell moves through, sometimes it changes the atmosphere for future cells that move through the same area, and that has a tendency to uh, reduce the shear, the wind shear in the area. So, I think that contributed a lot because a lot of that, those sales were training, as they call them, just kind of going down the same path. In this case, from uh, southwest to northeast was the track, the route. A long time ago, when I was flying my airplane, I was approaching Hawkins Field over in West Jackson, where I kept it at the time, back in the early 2000s. And gosh, there was a. There was a storm coming, and the worst shear is usually on the the edge of the storm when those cells are building and they're moving through the area. Gosh, and I was uh, approaching the pattern to land. Never forget it. Landing on runway three four one six, left. I believe it was one uh, six left, three four right. And anyhow, so we were. Making our way through the the pattern, I was with a friend i had I had ferried him over to Louisiana to drop his pla- airplane off for some avionics work and and all of a sudden we got pushed several hundred feet. We were at about three thousand feet approaching, and you knew that that was that, that sheer, shear that convection in the storm when we are on, were on final. I was on full throttle going into the wind, full throttle to just maintain the proper airspeed at that altitude and, and on final there approaching the runway. And it was quartering on us a little bit. And of course, in those small airplanes, the controls are not, they're, they're um, hydraulic. But they're, they're more mechanical. There's a little hydraulic in them, but it's more mechanical, meaning it's not like flying a commercial jet where you don't need muscle to, um, to move the elevator and the stabilizer and the ailerons, but you do on a small plane like that. The, the other person with me in the right seat and I were both out of our seat on the right rudder pedal, applying pressure to the right rudder pedal, it took both of us to keep the rudder at that position as we approached that uh, that wind shear. And and landed uh, upwind, letting down the, the upwind main gear on the left wing in that case first is what you're taught to do, and then the right, then the nose. But that was the first experience I ever had with really serious wind shear in an airplane. And it, of course, it, as that a storm was approaching, that shear gets even uh, stronger, it, it would push an airplane like that just straight into the ground. Just push it. We were very fortunate to walk away that night. Nothing happened. Zero event. But we were all pretty shaken up. The two of us were shaken up after landing with both of us up out of our seat to get leverage on that right pedal. Not a good idea. Stephen Brookhaven wants to know, I missed the update Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, Christine McVie, the keyboardist, vocalist, Writer, composer, in the band for a very long time. Certainly their big breakthrough album, Rumors, 76 or so, 5 or 6, I think it was introduced. It was popular when I was in college. Everybody had it back then, and we all listened to it and loved it. Uh, she passed away. Unexpectedly, I think, unexpectedly as far as the public knowing... She was 79 years old and will certainly be missed. Very talented individual. and Starkville says, not handled correctly by the staff member. If the facts are true, talking about this report we got from someone on the text line that wasn't happy about a call they made to the governor's office, felt like that it wasn't uh, handled appropriately and <clears throat> some degree of terseness in the conversation. We weren't there. We don't know. And any time I come upon a report like that, I I am not going to, I reserve judgment, and I'm not going to uh, take a a position,
2: I would... We now have exactly one side of the story.
3: Right, that's exactly right. We had a guiding principle in our company, is that there are multiple sides to every conflict like that, every grievance. And we don't act until, we don't knee-jerk, we don't impulsively behave we would uh we want to hear the other side and see how it went i, I It's hard for me to believe honestly, just based on my experience I, I and I don't know that I've ever seen anybody else report that before you know in in my interaction in my orbit with people the uh that there's any sort of rudeness whatsoever i I've, I've just never witnessed that. Our friend Jeff Smith suggests, so Jeff, of course, a longtime member of the House of Representatives in Mississippi, said, call the same number and ask for the chief of staff. That's actually good advice. That That's a good place to start when you have a, a high-level uh, position like that, a lawmaker or elected official. <laughs> call the same number and ask for the chief of staff, Parker Biden. Uh, Brighton, pardon me, Parker will make sure he is treated fairly, make sure the governor gets the message. I agree with you, Jeff. I know Parker, and that's been my experience with him as well. He's always been respectful and accommodating and conversational and and responsive. So I I would recommend that as well. But I'd also like to see folks contact their elected representatives first. They, They are... That's their job. And they, they are responsive. They're either responsive to their constituents, especially when you consider that they've got a much smaller number of constituents, by design. They're either responsive or they're probably going to have problems, because they get called constantly. It's never-ending. It's incredible what some people call a member of the House or the Senate. about Incredible. Like, that's not... Really, their purviews, not their scope. So some people, and I'm not saying that about this person. I don't know. We don't know. But but you know what I'm saying here, Rhino? It's true. A lot of people just want to just want to pound the flesh. Let me just share with you my grievances today. Just is that another dopamine situation? You think maybe? Oh yeah. Seems like it, doesn't it? I think you you absolutely nailed it on the head on that observation. Tate isn't hard to get in touch with, just have to know the right intermediary, says Thomas and Greenwood. Well, I, I hear you, Thomas, but in fairness, if you call the main number, you should be advised, you know, of who the right person is. And we don't know that that didn't happen here, honestly. It could have been that is what, exactly what happened. And uh, this person said, I don't want to talk to them, I want to talk to the governor himself. You can see that happening now,
2: right? Well, yeah, it's you, hard not to jump to a conclusion, but nine times out of ten, I would even go farther than that, I'd say 99 times out of 100. In any instance, when you are calling, when you're cold calling somewhere, trying to get in touch with someone, you're only going to get as far as your attitude can carry you. That is a
3: great point. And I think the point there is a person who who acts in a respectful manner. I'm not saying this didn't happen. We don't know. Right. All we know is we have a report. But, but
2: like, say you're trying to call and get in touch with the the president of a company. Yeah. You're going to have a lot better luck killing them with kindness. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. But I, and, I, and in return, if you treat someone rude because you feel they are beneath you or owe you something, you're going to get it in kind. No doubt about it. And I, I can attest as, as being that
3: person for a long time. The rare cases we ever had that someone would uh, berate one of my employees insisting to talk to me, honestly, at that point, I, I'm ready to tell them to take a hike. We don't want you as a customer anymore. I can honestly say in my 33 years, though, that just rarely happened. But sometimes it's a hard thing to do. you got to fire a customer. This is why I don't want the government telling me who i got to do business with, because if I do that, and they are of some physical profile, the next thing you know, the government shows up, the Department of Justice, and says it's uh, oppression, right, for whatever crazy reason because that profile met the jackpot issue. No, that's just business. Coming back on Middays in the Element Well Studios. Stay with us.
0: Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Now, now, onto the real part.
1: Dynamite.
0: on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: All right, Gary in the Berg says we got a place of Fleetwood Mac. We certainly do. Leo and Macomb on the C Spire text line. Thoughts on Miss McVee, While Stevie Nicks was quite easy on the eyes and had that smoky, spooky voice and is quite talented in her own right, in retrospect, Christine was even more talented as a superb musician, songwriter, and singer. She will be remembered as the glue of Fleetwood Mac from Leo and Macomb. That's excellent analysis there. Appreciate you sending that in, Leo. certainly Certainly was. Very, very talented. Of course, married... For quite some time, to uh, bassist, um, what's his name? Not John, was it? Maybe I can't remember his first name. Maybe it was. You looking it up? Yeah.
2: Yeah, John. John.
3: Okay, had it right. It was always kind of intriguing to watch uh, those two, knowing they were married. One playing the bass, one playing the keyboards and and singing. And he uh, he actually. Sang on a couple of songs, but in general, he was not. But gosh, his tightness with drummer Mick Fleetwood, which is what drummers do quite a bit, is, is aligned with the bass. Incredible, incredible uh, talent there. On the Ceasefire Text line, Jeff and Grenada example of smaller constituency. I called Brandon Presley's office twice over the years and received a return call both times directly from Brandon. Wish he were a Republican. That's a good point, Jeff. And you're right, um, Mr. Presley has uh, a smaller constituency, being the the Public Service Commissioner for the Northern District. I, you know, I'm not surprised about that. I, I do think that... I don't agree necessarily from a policy perspective, in government philosophy with uh, Commissioner Presley, but I-, I do think that he is a person, like so many in our state, that are incredibly responsive to their constituents, and I can see that. But you got to agree, right? you're the governor. You've got 2.9 million. It's a little different situation there. And I don't, I've not seen any data to support this assertion, but I've got to believe probably more people have some matter they want to discuss directly with the governor than they would, let's say, one of the commissioners. I could be wrong about that. I know the county supervisors, they get absolutely lit up with calls because county supervisors are responsible for the county roads and and uh, other infrastructure and so forth. And
2: I mean, if a ditch has
3: got water in it, they're calling
2: them. I was about to say I will, I will keep them nameless, but I did hear a story from a county supervisor one time who got several phone calls about a bulb being out. <laughs> and they were convinced it was like a street light. So like, all right, we'll, we'll get somebody. No, it was their French pork light bulb they <laughs> wanted somebody to come out and fix. <laughs>
3: oh, well, in the old days, it was bring the gravel out, put in the driveway. Remember? That? <laughs> I'm not surprised. Speaking of lights... Our good friend Brad White, that runs the Department of uh, Transportation, I know they got a lot of stuff going on and big fish to fry, but, and we've talked about this before, the light standards along the roadways, especially around the metro area, I don't know what the solution is. And I think the explanation we've heard is that criminals, thieves, crackheads. are taking the copper out of the damn oh, yeah. ground, right? And fencing it off so they can buy drugs. But that waterworks curve is arguably the most dangerous stretch of road in the state, and it's dark. Went that route last night back and forth to the mansion, and, and the Woodrow Wilson ramps on either side have single standards that illuminate them. They're out now, and that's also a very dangerous area. So I'm not sure what can be done, and don't want this to be perceived as a complaint, but rather just once again letting you guys know there are, and it's around state as well. I sure do wish we would maybe do a little review of where those lights need to be repaired. And if there's anything we could do, um, I sure would like to see that happen. My wife just texted me and said, you're the light police. <laughs> of course. Well, here's the deal. If you don't tell them, they don't know that we may get to a point where these uh, these lights out on the public streets, have some sort of connectivity and sensors where they can alert, provide alerts, just much like IT equipment, software do, to management systems, monitoring systems. I don't think that's the case now. I think they rely on somebody actually visibly inspecting that. So... Let's see, someone, yeah, Carolyn Starville just sent a note, says, get well soon, Rhino, detecting that your voice is still not quite 100%. Thank you for that, Carol. And Carol wanted to uh, said something earlier when we started the show about Trump's tax returns, which, by the way, are now in the hands of Ways and Means Committee, the Democrat-run presently Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives, that by order of the Supreme Court which ordered the IRS, the Department of Treasury, to release those returns directly to the Ways and Means Committee. And Carroll says if they are getting Trump's tax returns, they need to get Biden's as well. Agree, Carroll, they have them. Biden has released all of his tax returns. So is Kamala Harris. Really nothing to see there.
2: Yeah, Biden wasn't exactly going to put his ill-gotten gains from Hunter's dealings in Ukraine in his
3: tax. You're not going to find that in his tax returns. Right, exactly. But what the situation is with Donald Trump and what they what they seek is uh, that he was not honest and, and and not truthful in the valuation of some of his assets. This is what they want, and in doing so, he kind of this is what they think at least that he inflated and then deflated the value of the assets. So he's a person that would make a lot of his income in, in buying and selling buildings, structures, properties. Right. So those are assets subject to, it depends on the nature, but in general subject to, to gains. Could be ordinary income, could be capital gains, just depends on all kinds of other factors. But if he did that, inflate, deflate, um, so as to qualify for loans... Uh, or achieve more favorable tax treatment or for any other sort of financial purposes, that is tax and bank fraud and that 's what they 're trying to do is they 're not looking for his income that's I think a lot of people think that they 're trying to get his tax returns to show that he 's not as wealthy as he he details us he is honestly that 's not it that, i mean' you 're not breaking a law because remember what their goal is is to, to completely ban him from running for office. I find that ridiculous, because if he's so bad and you're so good, and I made it clear, I, I don't think you should run, but if that's the case, well, then let the people decide. But this situation here, what they're trying to do is uh, get him convicted of tax or bank fraud so that he would not qualify for... Candidacy. That's what they're trying to do. That's the reason they want the returns. Now, I don't think it helped Mr. Trump in that he kept insisting, I'm not going to release my returns as long as they're under an audit. Well, being under an audit does not preclude you from releasing your returns. And so I'm not really sure why he pushed back and using that as the reason Justifying it with that reason, well, it's under an audit. Well, and that goes back six years. So of course he's he's not compelled to release them. That's not law in this in this country. Doesn't require a candidate to do so. You do have to make certain financial disclosures, but releasing your tax returns is not one of them. But most of them just do it, and just uh, uh, the goal to be transparent. Just sort of telling the public, I'm totally transparent about my financial affairs. Here are my tax returns. That's that's what that effort's all about. But we'll see where all that goes. Uh, I think uh, there's likely to be some uh, revelations come out of that, whether or not they're accurately stated. Because when you start getting into the valuation of buildings and properties... That is extremely subjective, and I'm still, and Brian, I know we talked about this a few months ago when this came up, I still don't understand why banks are loaning money to anybody on the basis of their represented valuation of their properties. I've never known them to do that. Uh, They're going to have third parties galore. Think about when you buy a house, you know, it's all subject to the appraiser, um, and the appraisal report they produce, that's what they hang their hat on. That's how they fund the loan. So I'm still a little confused about that. The chain won a Fleetwood Mac's best. If you haven't ever watched them perform that live in the in the dance, which is available on DVD or actually out in digital form on YouTube and so forth. You need to. It's incredible. Lindsey Buckingham on the guitar there's fast as lightning. Oh, yeah, that's good. We're coming right back on middays, half an hour left. Stay with us.
0: It is with Gerard Gibbert. It is on. On Super Talk, Mississippi.
3: Back in the Element Well Studios, Super Talk, Mississippi. Kyle wanted to know how many members of Fleetwood Mac have gone to meet Elvis. I believe Christine is the first. Stevie Nicks still around. Mick Fleetwood still around. John McVie, Lindsey Buckingham. I mean, that's the that's the main core that made all the really popular music, as I recall. I think they did have a falling out with Lindsey Buckingham not too long ago couple of years ago or so, and he stopped touring with them, as I recall. And of course he and Stevie Nicks were married. In fact, they... Mick Fleetwood discovered them when they were Buckingham Nicks. They made uh, back in the early 70s, I believe. And invited them in. Said they were magical once he saw them perform. They invited him into the group. Nick's about 6'5 or so, isn't he? Big old tall guy.
2: Fun to watch him play the drums. Well, and there were always the no pun intended, rumors of a love
3: square. Yes, yes, that's right. Bob Welch, yeah, I forgot about that. He was one of the original members, but he was not. Uh, Ed from New Hope, reminds, has passed away. Um, John McVee? mcbee has been dead for years, really? I didn't know that. That's what Leo McComb says. Hmm. I have to look that up. Well, my bad. I misstated that. It happened with a lot of fans. I'm um, pretty sure. Pretty sure he's still kicking. That's what I thought, as well.
2: Yeah, yeah according to Wikipedia, he is uh, still active. 77.
3: She was 79. How about that? She was older than than he, and they were married. Yeah, Bob Welch, though. He. Uh, he was one of the original members. Wasn't that, Ed, before Stevie Nicks and Lindsey Buckingham joined the group, as I recall? Carolyn Stockwell says, Forgot they released their records, but we do not need this political posturing till the election. If it's strictly political posturing, Carol, I agree, and it does seem to be the case, but, but what if, just for argument's sake, Donald Trump did commit, some sort of fraud, some sort of crime, should we pursue that? Should he be accountable for that, I think, or anybody, for that matter? I, I think the risk is that we, we're seeing, it's like this Freed guy, right, the crypto nut. I'm about tired of seeing his face, honestly. How is he not in jail? I agree, and I think that's because of who's in charge of the government, because he gave him a bunch of money. And he s- seems to be skirting any responsibility for the travesty. I, I believe that had he contributed to Republicans $40 million bucks, it may be a different situation.
2: Sad. Well, now he's claiming that he did. He's, to Republicans? he's claiming that he made donations to Democrats and Republicans, although it's pretty easy to refute that. You just got to look at the official records. Uh, and But what I saw when he made that statement,
3: the, uh, the ratio was quite outsized in favor of the Democrats, which is not a surprise. But certainly uh, disparate treatment of Americans, no matter what, under the law, no matter what their position is, their fame, their celebrity, their political status... The old blind justice concept should be applied here. the law is the law. nobody's above it, and it should be uh, it should be applied regardless
2: so Still but I'm a little I confused how Lane Maxwell's in jail for child sex trafficking yet who'd she trafficked to
3: yeah, that's totally uh, a a I mean, the people that she trafficked to. How is she the the only
2: person in jail for this?
3: I totally agree. I completely agree. Johnny and Macomb, thank you for saying. How old are you? Then he instead of him. Oh, I think he's referring to my grammar. Did I get it wrong there, Johnny? Maybe I'm not. reading that correctly. I
2: have no idea what they're trying to say.
3: Truly hope if he decides to run again, this is Jason talking about uh, Brandon Presley. Miss Mandy doesn't try to box him in with Nancy Pelosi, AOC at all, with her campaign, campaign. I'd like to hear ideas, policy suggestions, etc. No need or sense in turning into a character assassination, and I think voters would know better by now anyway. Yeah, I hear you, Jason. I, I don't know what to expect, honestly. I haven't uh, spoken to uh, Mandy's uh, strategy, haven't spoken to her about her strategy for her campaign plan. I, but I, I would also hazard a guess here, Jason. If that happened, I believe that Brandon Presley would respond in the, with the same sort of reaction. That just seems to be what occurs when when... Uh, those involved in a campaign, candidates opposing each other, when they start diving into and resorting to personal attacks, usually it's reciprocated, and you end up with a campaign that's nothing but a bunch of personal attacks. I don't know that that's going to happen here, and and certainly hope it doesn't, and, and uh, I, my gut feel is it won't, just knowing Mandy and her family, uh, I don't think that'll happen, but it you have to agree, though, if you're going to put a D behind your name, attach that to your name, it's, you know, I think it's fair game that you may be associated just by being part of the same party with others that may be viewed as less than popular in certain circles, certain constituencies, but that can be fixed, I think, or certainly addressed to your point, if Mr. Presley would denounce those members of his party that you feel he's different from? Would he do that? And that's, I say that for Republicans as well. I mean, I've i have taken some heat here. Heck, Rhino, you remember we, we lost a long-time listener. Well, that's what they told us on the text line. Probably still listening. <laughs> Just because I happen to Call out Lauren Boebert and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene for their outburst during the delivery of the State of Union address. Remember that? That's just I just said it's inappropriate, I, and I and I said it's inappropriate
2: regardless of party, regardless of who's the president. Yeah, I was the one that went after him for being dumb and not seeing the <laughs> fact that Jordan, that Biden was winding up for his favorite speech talking point. His dead son. Yeah, that's true. You could see it coming a mile away. So sit your happy butt down and have your outburst at a different point where it's less distasteful. And so
3: to that point, though, as you well know, the Democrats very effectively, just as do the Republicans, link everybody else to them. They're radical Lauren Boebert, Marjorie Taylor Greene, and the person that... At that day sent us a text that said I'm no
2: longer going to listen basically said we need more of them no we don't right agree we and could use more fighters but s- they need to actually have a modicum of intelligence they don't need to be knee jerk reactionaries spouting conspiracy theories and nonsense and shouldn't we also if if we're going to
3: condone that behavior we should stand down if the other party does the same when the president is of our party, if they exclaim some sort of crazy outburst. So what we try to do here is just is just equal treatment. You remember we called out the squad and others who showed up in like white pantsuits to one of Trump's State of the Union. You remember that? To call attention to themselves. Like, what's up with that? And it was, and they had that goofy look on their face, <laughs> uninterested look on their face. And, and that's, it's, so what's happened in this country is that every time the president, regardless of party, addresses the nation, which is supposed to be an update on since the last time they did that, the state, that's why it's called the State of the Union, and then also sets a vision for the future and talks about plans and priorities, it's just become a big political theater. Nancy Pelosi, whom we called out, who, by the way, was in the matching white outfit. I don't I don't know that she planned it, but then who could forget when she stood up and tore the speech transcript, the document up. So stupid. After so
2: making d- sure she could actually get it done.
3: <laughs> yeah, she had to cheat a little bit, start to tear.
2: Gotta make sure it'll actually tear
3: here. <laughs> I mean, those are just dumb. It's juvenile, it's childish, it's inappropriate and out of respect for the country and the decorum of the the chamber, I just think that's inappropriate. I don't care what party you're in, and just think you shouldn't do that. It's not it's not a statement that uh, in any way diminishes my political and philosophical persuasion and and views and principles. Not whatsoever. It's just about behavior. Coming back, stay with us.
0: what that means middays with gerard gibbert we'll do it live on super talk mississippi
3: Welcome back. Midday's final segment on this Friday Eve, And don't forget, we're going to be down tomorrow all day, Super Supertalk Will, at the trademark for Mississippi Farm Bureau's 100 years of faith, family, and the Farm Bureau. Looking forward to that. We uh, just had Alex Payton in here talking about the lineup for tomorrow. Sounds exciting. Rhino,
2: amazing how many conspiracy theories lately have been proven right. Hmm. Still a tiny little percentage compared to the mountain of insanity spewed by tin tinfoil hat-wearing crazy people. No doubt about it.
3: i just curious from the person who sent this to us, an example of that. And so the whole question is, what's a conspiracy theory? You know. So everybody's got a different definition of that, different view of that. I don't know that there's any consensus of what those could be.
2: I would say the uh, poster boy for conspiracy theories would either be chemtrails or weather control. Those are two pretty good ones.
3: Yeah. The, The other one that always comes to mind is everything's got RFID chips in it, and they're tracking you. You've heard that. Oh, yeah. The, the vaccine has RFID ch- chips in it. 5G. And, <laughs> 5G. It's mind control. That's true. I forgot about that one. But something that's probably not a conspiracy theory, that, I, in fact, I don't believe it is, is TikTok. I do think the Chinese are gathering mountains of information. About our consumption. Now, whether or not there's any use for that data, any value in that data, and I bring that up because you probably saw Governor Christie Nome now has issued, I believe, an executive order that prohibits any government worker in her state, South Dakota from uh installing TikTok on any government devices. Maybe even their personal devices, if I'm not mistaken. No, I don't know. I, are the Chinese collecting information from that from that? I do believe that is true. They've been doing that, by the way, for years using other methodologies than TikTok. What they do with that, I have no idea. MSN gaslights faxes conspiracy when they try to hide the facts. Give me an example. Give us an example. I'm not saying you're wrong. Just I, I'd be curious. Now, look, I call out MSNBC, if that's what you're talking about. I call them out constantly and, and play, I find it humorous, honestly. The race lady and Nicole, whatever the hell her name is, Wallace, I think, and some of the others. Yeah, it's nuts. I don't know that I'd call that conspiracy theories. It's just distorted views of things. What are you laughing about?
2: They replied with COVID.
3: Specifically what with COVID, though? Specifically what? Now, I mean, there are a lot of people out there, right, believe it's just fabricated. It's not really a disease. And those people are wrong. I, I think pretty sure they are, yeah.
2: Treatments, okay. Specifically what? The treatments have worked. Yeah. Or are you talking about the vaccine which the conspiracy surrounding that is you were lied to by politicians. That's very true. That's not necessarily a conspiracy. Politicians on both sides of the aisle lie from both sides of their mouth because they're politicians. Let's be honest with respect to the
3: whole COVID deal, there there's plenty of evidence now that there was lots of information being promoted by both sides, that's now been refuted, both sides. It's not unique to one side here. Somewhere in the middle, honestly, which is typically the case when you have something so controversial, there's where the truth uh, lies. Uh, do you so do you think the population control theory is just conspiracy garbage, says Paul and Meridian.
2: Yes. Yes, yeah, I do. I do.
3: Now, do I believe that there's some people in this world, including in this nation, that advocate for population control? Absolutely.
2: Do they have any power whatsoever to Zero. enact
3: it? None. No. Well, Greta
2: Thunberg is one of them, right? That's not a conspiracy theory. It's like everybody that gets up in arms about the World Economic Forum. They're going to take away our sovereignty. With what army? Yeah. I mean... Heck, I remember 50 years ago, the environmental tree
3: hugging wackos is um, Rush Limbaugh sort of popularized that phrase. You know, thought trees have feelings and you're like feel it when you cut them down and stuff, whatever the heck that means. I mean, I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. It's just conspiracy theories when multiple parties are conspiring or collaborating to affect something. I mean, Bill Gates has made it clear. He thinks that we propagating too much. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's just his goofy, twisted opinion. Oh, well. So that's kind of the end of that. COVID vaccine causing blood clots. It's not a conspiracy theory. And it's obviously, it's a teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny, teeny, tiny fraction of the population. We'll be at the trademark tomorrow. Hope you tune in then. Stay safe and God bless.